You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, It's that time of year. The days are getting shorter. The leaves that weren't incinerated in a wildfire over the summer are turning. And we're having our fourth, or is it our fifth, deadly heat wave in the United States. And New York City is underwater. And Republicans are threatening to shut down the government. And some Republicans are suggesting that it's not really fair the way the media always blames Republicans when the government shuts down, even though it's always Republicans who shut down the government. I fully expect the media to blame Democrats when Republicans shut down the government this time to avoid accusations of a liberal media bias, accusations that will never stop because they always work. And, oh, look, the Kremlin is threatening to bomb Germany, and Donald Trump, who's on trial in New York, wants to execute former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley. And Joe Biden is old as fuck, and Clarence Thomas is corrupt as fuck, and Dianne Feinstein, dead as fuck. But what do right-wingers want to talk about? Who is Taylor Swift fucking now? First, I want to say I really like Taylor Swift. I don't like her music. And that's no comment on the quality of her music. Basically, if it's not a song from a musical or it wasn't recorded by a female vocalist before 1976, I am highly unlikely to enjoy it. And that is a me problem, not a Taylor Swift problem or a Beyonce problem or a Rihanna problem or an Adele problem or a Lana Del Rey problem. But I've heard enough of Swift's music and read enough about Swift to say this. Swift seems to be the common denominator in a lot of failed relationships. Failed relationships, not an expression I use lightly. As longtime listeners know, I don't think a relationship has to last forever to be a success. I believe STRs, short-term relationships, can be just as successful, sometimes more successful than LTRs. And I really don't think it's a good idea to convince people that someone has to die for a relationship to have been a success. But one reliable sign that an STR wasn't a success is someone having more bad things than good things to say about an ex when it's over. And if you can't stop complaining publicly and bitterly about all of your exes, if you complain about every relationship you've ever been in and your complaints make the pop charts and people dance to your complaints in clubs and sing along to your complaints in stadiums, maybe it's you. It might not be you. There are lots of shitty men out there. There are lots of shitty everybody's out there. And a woman could easily wind up dating a dozen shitty men in a row. That is not a statistical impossibility. I wouldn't even describe that as a statistical improbability. But at some point, you do owe it to yourself, or if you're Taylor Swift, you owe it to your fans to ask after you're single again, before you walk into the recording studio again, before you start dating or touring again, could this be a me problem? This is not an intervention. I'm pretty sure Taylor Swift is not a listener. And hey, like I said, I like Swift. I love her pro-choice politics. I love the way she's been encouraging her followers, her hundreds of millions of followers, to register to vote. And it's too late for an intervention anyway. Swift already has a new boyfriend. One of the world's biggest pop stars, if not the world's biggest pop star, is dating, as everyone on earth already knows, Travis Kelsey, who is a very successful football player. 
I couldn't tell you what team he plays for without looking it up. I actually can't even tell you if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Is it Kels or Kelsey? I'm going with Kelsey. But I can tell you he was very funny when he hosted SNL and the cuckold skit he was in is still making the rounds on cuckold Twitter. So after Swift and Kelsey went public, very public with their relationship, a certain segment of hyper online right wing influencers and internet trolls and political pundits exploded in a rage. It didn't make sense. Not to me. Isn't one of America's pop stars, biggest pop stars, dating one of America's biggest football heroes, a kind of America fuck yeah moment? So I found myself wondering whether all this anger wasn't some sort of diversionary tactic to distract us from the evidence of climate change all around us or the cognitive decline of Donald J. Trump or women being thrown in jail for obtaining abortion medications for their daughters. I was going to unpack why so many right-wing commentators, almost all of them male, are so upset about Taylor Swift dating the football guy. And then I listened to Friday's episode of the Bulwark podcast and concluded that I couldn't do as good a job of unpacking that as David Frum did. Say what you like about David Frum. He's a conservative author and pundit, worked for George W. Bush, now writes for The Atlantic. Always an ever-Trumper, though. Lots of lefties don't like him. But man, can he read a bitch. He can read a whole bunch of bitches all at once. The next time they open up the library on Drag Race, Rue should invite From on to show those queens how it's done. Here is From talking with Bulwark host Charlie Sykes about why these right-wing trolls are so furious with Swift for dating Kelsey. We're talking here not about Republicans. We're talking not exactly but even MAGA. What we're talking about is the, this hyper-online radical right world. And how much of yeah, that yeah. is driven by thwarted male sexual desire? All of it? That's their politics. And so, of course, they hate Taylor Swift. You can't get so angry about this if you have yeah. a girlfriend of your own. But if you don't, because mm -hmm. Taylor Swift is this huge, because yeah. she's not just she's a very talented musician, obviously, but she's also joins that to being an object of sexual desire for so many people. And they can't have her and they don't have anything and they never will. And they're in a rage about That's it. Certainly it describes many yeah. of the pro creators of this content. And it absolutely describes just about all of the consumers of this content. Holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. Could not have said that better myself. Spot on analysis from, from Amanda Marcotte, also with some spot on analysis at Salon said this. The right has long had a youth recruitment problem, and this, attacking Swift and Kelsey, this is the solution they've landed on, appealing to incels and incel-adjacent young men by blaming their romantic woes on liberalism and liberal women like Taylor Swift. When these trolls unload on Swift and Kelsey, Marquette goes on, they're lashing out at women, especially cute young women, who won't give MAGA dudes the time of day. And if young women won't give MAGA dudes the time of day, MAGA dudes are fucked or not fucked. The gender gap, as Jill Filipovich points out on her excellent Substack this week, is wider than it has ever been among women and men under 30. 72% of women under 30 voted for Democrats in 2022. 57% of women between the ages of 30 and 45 voted for Democrats compared to just 43% of men. Young women don't want to vote for that guy who brags about taking away their rights. Those same young women don't want to vote for that guy who is convicted of sexual assault. 
And they don't want to date guys who'd vote for that guy. They'd rather go to Swift's concert with their girlfriends and their gay besties. So yeah, calling Taylor Swift mid, calling Taylor Swift homely as right-wing trolls did last week, calling her popularity evidence of moral decline as they did at the Federalist last week, calling for her and her new boyfriend to be executed, which actually happened. None of this is going to make MAGA dudes more appealing to women under 45 who aren't already at the Trump rally with their husbands and grandchildren. All that's going to do is make guys who follow these guys more unfuckable than they already are. And not to be conspiracy-minded about this, I sometimes think that's the point. Right-wing trolls have figured out how to monetize these unfuckable hate nerds, as Mark Marin calls them. Which is why they're out there working so hard to make more of them. All right, coming up on the Micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and joining me on the Magnum Lovecast, become a sub right now at savage.love for more calls, more questions, more answers, more guests, and no ads. Dr. Oliver Bacon, infectious disease specialist and medical director of the San Francisco City Clinic, joins me to talk about the newest thing in STI prevention for gay and bi men and for men who have sex with men. It's called Doxy. Pep. We also talk about poppers. That's on the Magnum. Tons of your questions on the micro. And Magnum subs, please note Savage Love Live, my Zoom show where I answer your questions live and hang out with Nancy and the Tech Heavy at Risk Youth. The next one is coming up Thursday, October 12th, noon Pacific. Want to join the fun? Grab your Magnum sub now for just eight bucks at savage.love slash subscribe. All right, let's get to the show. This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, the very best tool for trimming your body hair. Go to meridiangrooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off. This episode is brought to you by Talkspace, therapy made easy. Get $80 off your first month when you go to talkspace.com savage. Support for today's show, support we are very grateful for, comes from Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk in your own home, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just click, print, mail, and you are done. It could not be easier. And right now, use Savage for this special offer. Includes up to 55 bucks worth of free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Do not wait. Go to stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SAVAGE. That's stamps.com. Enter S-A-V-A-G-E. Hey, Dan and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. Mostly straight, slightly queer-leaning, engaged, cis male living in the Pacific Northwest. I'm dealing with the situation between a family member and I. In the past couple of years, I've discovered my love for feeling beautiful. I love wearing lingerie, dresses, underwear, jewelry, and makeup of all varieties. The way I see it, I love having an expansive wardrobe. Whether it's shorts and a dress shirt, or a dress from Kate Spade, I love wearing clothes that make me feel good. While my brother has been tolerant of knowing this about me, he has not been accepting of my decision to wear feminine clothing in public. There's a lot of history between us, both good in terms of sharing our childhood together and bad in the sense that there's been family drama and what I believe to be abuse to some degree. 
I believe that my brother sees cross-dressing as purely a fetish. I personally don't like the term cross-dressing. And I think in a sense, my brother believes that this is forcing something on people in public. What is your opinion on cis men wearing clothes which have been historically identified typically as women's? I don't see this as a problem which hurts anyone, especially because I prefer fairly modest attire, which does not expose much. I feel like I have a good sense for where this sort of thing might be inappropriate. Should I just expect to offend people? I have not come out to my parents and my partner and many of my friends are more than supportive of this as well. You can't win them all. You've come out to your parents and your friends and your partner about not going to call it cross-dressing. What you're doing isn't cross-dressing. You're just wearing the clothes that speak to you and the jewelry that speaks to you, the makeup that occasionally speaks to you. You're wearing, how did you put it? You're a cis man wearing clothes historically identified typically as women's attire. Well, these days, depending on who you are and where you are, I don't want to say anything goes because there are definitely places where you wouldn't be safe, especially now with the fucking moral panic and right-wing culture war being kicked off about trans people and gender non-conforming people, which has resulted in much more aggressive policing, perhaps, in public of articles of clothing that people might choose to wear. Yeah, you can expect to piss some people off. You can expect, depending on where you are, to offend some people. But you know what? Being who you are is worth the risk of offending some people, even if that person is your brother. Like I said, you can't win them all. Your parents are on your side. Your friends are on your side. Your partner's on your side. None of these people regard what you're doing as a fetishistic activity. Are you shoving your fetish down other people's throats? Well, all right. Take the almost complete round the table win there. There are many people out there who wear clothes not historically associated with their assigned sex at birth who get a tremendous amount of grief from their friends or they lose their friends from their partners or they lose their partners from their parents or they're disinherited by their parents and you have all of their support. Maybe some of them would be willing to run interference with your brother and explain to your brother why they don't see what you're doing, what you're wearing is inherently fetishistic or sexual, that your brother can't see that. That's your brother telling you how it would feel for him or the only way that he could possibly understand why a man would choose to wear items of clothing historically identified typically as women's in public. And the only reason he could see why he would do that or any man would do that, he's really projecting his own attitudes about what you're doing onto you is for the boners, but you're not doing it for the boners. Now, there may be some guys out there who are doing it a little bit for the boner, a little bit for the sexual charge. That may fall under the heading, in my opinion, of a little bit of secret perving, and that's okay. You can Google Dan Savage, Savage Love, secret perving. There's a chapter on secret perving in uh, Savage Love A to Z, my last book, if you'd like to hear me really go off and go into the ethics and permissibility and the when and where, it's okay and not okay of secret perving. So there are some guys out there listening who probably wear a little bit of women's clothing and some women out there or assigned male at birth folks, assigned female at birth folks out there who wear 
items of clothing historically identified typically as for the opposite of the sex that they were assigned at birth who get a little bit of a charge out of that. And that's okay. So long as, I don't know, there's a kind of the ability of other people you may encounter to suspend their disbelief and not feel like you're deriving arousal from their shocked reaction or thoughts you might be putting in their head. And it doesn't sound like you're doing that. So I don't think that you have anything. I don't think you're doing anything wrong here. You said your piece to your brother. You can't control ultimately how he thinks or how he reacts. And he can't control what you think, how you feel or your wardrobe. He can't control your wardrobe. You say you've only recently come out. I expect your brother will get used to it in time and grow to be more comfortable around you in whatever it is that you might be wearing. And if he doesn't, well, how often do you have to see your brother? Really? Anyway, this episode is sponsored by Talkspace. People often wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? You can get a therapist so quickly through Talkspace. And therapy can help shift your perspective. It can give you the tools you need to cope in difficult times and help you be ready for those difficult times if and when they come. Just generally, therapy can help you take control of your life. Getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend your therapy sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, LGBT issues, and much more. Finally, Talkspace is affordable and in-network with most major insurers. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash savage. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash savage to get $80 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash savage. Hey, Dan, I'm a tech-savvy at-risk youth. I'm a 30-year-old queer guy on the East Coast, and I have a question about age gaps, having kids, and the price of admission. So my partner of a year and a half, who's 41, asked for a break about a month ago, and I've been really sad about it. Short reason is that he realized he needs to do some hard work with a therapist to figure out why he diminishes his own wants and priorities in life. And that's a journey he has to take by himself. I know the biggest question he's asking himself right now is about having kids, and he's willing to adopt as a single gay dad. At 41, he's finally in a place where he can begin to make moves toward adoption as far as finances, housing, all that still probably be a ways off, but since he's 11 years older than me, he doesn't have as many years as I do to wait for an ideal time, if there ever is one. Here's the issue. I have a career in the arts that would probably have me on the road a ton over the next few years, which means that it would be possible that we go from living long distance for much or all of the time right to being co-parents without having had much of a chance for cohabitation, newlywed life, just the two of us, a lot of life steps in the middle. This brings me to my question. Is it a realistic price of admission to decide to rush or skip all those steps in life for him and for us and to have our time together on the other side of a kid? 
Or is that just a totally doomed proposition, given how having a kid requires such a strong partnership? I've never felt more loved by anyone in my life, and I really want to make it work somehow. You say you want to make this work somehow, and yet you've convinced yourself that it can't work or it won't work unless you do it the way, I don't know, the way you think it's supposed to be done. That before you have kids, you cohabitate for a certain amount of time, that you have a honeymoon period, you have a period in your life as a couple where you're newlyweds and it's just the two of you. And sure, that is often how it's done. It's not always how it's done. And there are plenty of people, plenty of couples out there who bond as a couple, cohabitate, live together as a couple, have that honeymoon period, actually do have a honeymoon, have that stage as newlyweds, and then have kids and promptly break up. There's no right way, no one way to form the kinds of bonds that can endure parenting together. Kids do not bring you closer together. Kids are a wedge you drive into your relationship. You need to be strong and stable and committed really as a couple. Now, for some people, what they bond and commit over and commit to is parenting together. And although a child, when I say a kid is a wedge, you drive into your relationship, a child creates stresses and tensions and becomes the focus and priority. But if a couple parents well together, if they rise to the challenge, that wedge you're driving into your relationship, paradoxically, can make you stronger. I guess what I'm trying to say here is you, you just don't know. You don't know. And you shouldn't let the perfect or the ideal, this idea, these concepts you have in your head about the way a couple is supposed to progress from step one to step two to step three, from meeting to falling in love to marrying to cohabitating or to cohabitating then to marrying, that's what I would recommend, to parenting, you can't let that timeline, a perfect timeline, or your idea of what the perfect timeline or perfect progression should look like be the enemy of the good or good enough. You've already been together more than a year you say that your partner asked for a break because they have some work to do in therapy. That work is about prioritizing their own wants and needs. And so it seems to me that he's going to have a kid with or without you. And so it's not a question, do we have a kid together or not? He's going to have a kid together and you can continue to date him after he has a kid. But I wonder if you're both not making a problem here where none may exist. Now, he needed this time off. He needed this break. There's no guarantee when someone asks you for a break that when they're done doing the work that they have to do alone in therapy, that they're going to want to pick things back up. But if he does, you said that adoption is still a ways off. Okay, great. Continue to date while you travel for work, while you pursue your career in the arts and be together as much as you possibly can. And, you know, before he has a kid, he can travel to you or with you maybe and be on the road with you a little bit. And you can continue to strengthen your bond as a couple. And you can have, if not the romanticized ideal picture of the cohabitation that a couple ought to do before they have kids together, you can have your own version of it, your own iteration of it. And then if and when he decides to have a kid, he can do that on his own. And then you can continue to date this new, technically single gay dad, and then decide if you want to 
be the co-parent, marry. Or, you know, if it takes him a long time to work through this shit in therapy and whatever he needs to do to get his ducks in a row to do the adoption, if and when he does the adoption, that may be years off. You may be ready, more ready to commit. So cross this bridge when you come to it. Date him when he's ready to start dating you again. Date him. Continue to date him. Continue to be the best partners you can possibly be. And then you can make a decision when the time comes about whether you're going to be parents together and partners or he's going to be a parent on his own and single without you or he's going to be a parent on his own and technically a single parent but who has a boyfriend that he's continuing to date and may one day marry and then have a different kind of newlywed experience. This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, my new favorite tool for shaving down there. Meridian offers powerful trimmers that cut through even the coarsest hair, but their trimmers are gentle enough for your privates. You'll enjoy a comfortable shave below the belt with no nicks, cuts, or ingrowns. Meridian trimmers are for men, they're for women, they're for non-binary folks, and they're for any style, whether you prefer a completely bare, neatly trimmed scruff or a well-rounded bush. This high-quality waterproof trimmer is fitted with a 6,000 RPM motor, safe ceramic blades, and an anti-nick shaving guard. And Meridian has so many happy customers, over 1,000 five-star reviews online. With the Meridian trimmer, you can get your body hair looking just how you like it and feel good and sexy with your fuzz. Get a Meridian trimmer today for the ultimate trimming experience without the pain, discomfort, or awkwardness. Order now and take control of your grooming routine on your own terms. Listeners of the Savage Lovecast get an extra 15% off your order using the coupon code SAVAGE. Go to M-E-R-I-D-I-A-N grooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off. You deserve a better and safer below-the-belt trimming experience and with Meridian Trimmer, you can get one today. Hi, Dan. I'm a trans guy, gay, and since I'm finished transitioning and like all that, I uh, have been having my first gay hookups, and I'm having a blast. It's really fun. I love how casual it is. No complaints, really. My main question is, when you do some more kink or sub dummy stuff with a casual encounter. I don't really want aftercare from that individual um, necessarily, like because intimacy of it just doesn't, not really the vibe. But I do find myself kind of having like an emotional hangover from it still. So I was wondering what you recommend as like nice ways to process something like that, like some more like, aggressive scenes that you do in hookups that are consensual for sure, but like you still kind of need to like decompress after. Congrats on your transition and congrats on coming out, getting out there and finding guys that you want to play with and the guys who want to play with you. So many, I always like to highlight questions like yours and experiences like yours because so many trans people before transition and even after transition go into dating with this assumption of scarcity when actually trans people, trans guys, kinky trans gay guys, it's abundance that you should expect and have a right to expect. And experiences like yours reassure other people who are just beginning their transitions or have already transitioned that they can expect. All right, to your question. Hey, after crazy kinky sex, aftercare is something that the dom 
provides the sub a little reassurance, a little tenderness, a little intimacy, maybe some just being held. But it's really about what the sub needs at that moment when they're coming down after an intense BDSM or DS play date or experience. And so if what you need at that moment when you're coming down is just to be alone with your thoughts, to process that experience, then that's what you need at that moment. And the best aftercare the Dom can provide you, you in particular, you as an individual, is not the aftercare that people think of or expect when they say aftercare, the aftercare they might require after an intense scene. It's the aftercare you need. And if the aftercare you need is to just bolt and be alone, all right, well, the Dom should let you get dressed and let you take off. Maybe it would be a good idea to have, uh, if it's not the Dom that you want, that kind of intimacy or to share whatever it is that you're feeling about the scene with. If you have a friend or two that you can confide in, that you can check in with, they could provide you with that particular kind of you-specific aftercare that you required. Or maybe the kind of aftercare that you need is just an internal monologue. Maybe all you really need is to go to your favorite diner and have a milkshake and think or journal about what you just experienced and what worked for you and what didn't work for you and to think about maybe with that partner or a future partner, you can better communicate your needs or expectations before and during the scene so it's more of what you need. Or if it was just a perfect experience and an awesome experience to bask in the afterglow alone while you drink your milkshake in your favorite diner and think about it, file away those memories for spank bank and later. It's important to emphasize though, that sometimes doms need a little bit of aftercare. You know, the dom is there to provide the aftercare that the sub needs so that the sub can decompress. But sometimes the dom, especially a conscientious dom is going to want to know from the sub, whether the sub had a good time or not. And if what you need as a sub is to get the fuck out of there, the Dom might think you're bolting, particularly if you didn't tell him in advance of playing that that's your style after play, that you just need some time alone to process and you need to get up and go. He might worry that you didn't have a good time or that he did something wrong, especially if the play was intense or you specifically requested that your Dom respect your boundaries, but push the envelope a little bit, push boundaries a little bit. Contrary to appearances, most doms, I think all good conscientious doms for whom BDSM and DSX represents a kind of intimacy and play and connection, they want their subs to have a good time. And most doms appreciate feedback, sometimes a little constructive criticism or input about how the scene went. And a dom can need, after an intense scene, pretty much the same thing a sub might need after an intense scene, just a little bit of reassurance. Are you a business owner? Are you ready for the holiday rush? Stamps.com has been helping businesses like yours save time and money for 25 years. And Stamps.com can help you get ready for the holiday ramp up. You're going to want Stamps.com's premium rates for all your holiday postage needs, and you can get them right now. With Stamps.com, all you need is a computer and a printer. They even send you a free scale, so you'll have everything you need to get started. 
And taking care of orders on the go is even easier with the Stamps.com mobile app. If you need a package pickup, you can easily schedule it through your Stamps.com dashboard. And if you sell products online, Stamps.com seamlessly connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Running low, order shipping and mailing supplies, labels, and even printers from the supply store. Get huge carrier discounts up to 84% off USPS and UPS rates to help your bottom line. Plus, Stamps.com automatically tells you your cheapest and fastest shipping options. For 25 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Get access to the USPS and UPS services you need right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Get your business ready for the holiday rush. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with the promo code SAVAGE for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code SAVAGE. Hey, Dan. I am a bisexual female with two partners. One that I've been with for about a year, and we opened up our relationship probably about five months into our relationship. Monogamy was kind of originally what we started with and knew that we wanted to graduate towards polyamory openness. And our other partner, we both matched with separately on Bumble and then decided to kind of see it together. And it's been very, like, awesome, amazing for a really long time. It was just kind of, you know, kissy cuddle puddles. But... Last night, I had a really emotional day, and both of them came over to, you know, console me, and it was our first ever sleepover, which, not minding the logistics of a queen-size bed and three people, one of which is six foot seven, but the entire time that they're both cuddling me and, you know, comforting me, I kept on wanting to say I feel so loved, but that big L word has not been dropped with our other partner that we've been seeing you know, together for about four months. And I don't know if we're both ready to say that. We kind of talked about, like, when we do want to say it, maybe saying it together. But I don't know, Dan, is there, like, obviously me and my partner that I've been with for about a year, we love each other. We say we love each other all the time. Is there some poly etiquette for saying the big L word to your other partner that's kind of joined in an already existing relationship? Should we say it individually or together is should you know we make it cute and kind of gravitas should it be something more intimate and just natural or how do i go about this dan of course i want to say that you should say it you should say i love you when you're feeling it when it feels right without overthinking it but saying i love you out loud to someone that you feel romantic love for the first time can be hugely consequential and so it requires some thinking maybe a little overthinking is called for, but not over overthinking. Your hemming and hawing about it is adorable. And rather than try to stage some smooth Fonzie, like there's a 50 year old pop culture reference for the kids way of slipping it into conversation, you opening up to your third about your thought process and your, about your, how you're actually feeling that you weren't sure when to say this or how to say this or whether it was right to say it. And then saying it, that could be very deeply endearing. Or it could scare the shit out of your third. I don't know what your third's thought process is. I don't know what they want or they're open to it. It's a wonderful thing to be loved. And most people go into relationships in hopes of being 
loved. And for all you know, your third has wanted to say I love you for a while and is hanging back out of respect for you and your primary partner or your pre-existing partner or your partner of longer duration. I don't know how quite to describe this without sounding hierarchical about your relationship. But you were in relationship and saying I love you to this person that you're already with, been with for a year before your third entered your lives. And if your third is a good and thoughtful third who doesn't want to blow up the existing relationship that she's been brought into, yeah, she might be hanging back. She might be ready to say it, ready to hear it, but doesn't want to say it first for fear of upsetting the balance and the delicate place that you two are in, in your relationship. It's a big step for two people in a relationship and already existing loving, committed relationship to open themselves up to polyamory, which isn't just having an open relationship and sometimes fucking other people and sometimes fucking the same other person together. There are a lot of people out there in open relationships who've agreed with their partner, their primary partner in a very hierarchical sense that they can fuck other people, but they can't catch feelings. They can't fall in love. And if you haven't had a conversation with your third about what it is you guys are open to or exploring, they might not even know whether the feelings they're feeling for you or the feelings they might sense that you're feeling for them are permissible under the terms of the agreement that you made with your longer term partner. So if you and your longer term partner, if you're both okay with it, and your call makes it sound like you've discussed it with your already existing partner, with the partner of a year, when you're allowed to, or whether you ever will use the L word with this third, but then at the end of your call, you make it sound like you haven't discussed it in depth, perhaps with your longer term partner. Discuss it right now in depth with your longer term partner. I'm feeling this way, what are you feeling? We talked about being poly, not just being open. So we were obviously opening ourselves to these sorts of feelings for other people. What do we do? And it could be absolutely adorable. If you linked hands and said, I love you at the same time together to your third, or if you just told your third to listen to this week's episode of the Savage Lovecast and hear your delightful internal monologue, your thought process about how and when and whether and why and where and with whom and simultaneously or individually to tell your third that you love her. And then maybe your third will say, I love you too. This is why you should think about saying I love you and be thoughtful about it. Because if that other person isn't ready to say I love you too, even if they're ready to hear it, even if they appreciate hearing it, they're not quite ready to say I love you Two, it can put them in an awkward position and it can also put you in a position where you might have to hear, thank you. And I'm not quite ready to say that, but I may be. And how will you feel if your third appreciates hearing it, is open to hearing it, but isn't ready yet to say it in return? Something else for you and your longer term partner to think about before blurting it out. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple of comments left by listeners on last week's show at savage.love. Says kindness is key to the caller struggling to forgive their partner regarding cheating during COVID. I think people assume forgiveness has to look like, I completely forgive you. I am at peace now. But it can also look like, 
I don't know if I can ever forgive you, but I can move on. I can enjoy our time together and stand on the foundation of our love for each other, even while still feeling hurt at times. Says Ted the Bellhop, I feel pity for the husband of the woman who lost interest in him. It's really not a good idea to have a child when libido and or relationship preferences are not a match. It's a good idea, yeah, to make sure you're a match where libido and relationship preferences are concerned right at the start. Sexual compatibility is important. If everything is great but the sex, then everything is not great. But two people who had compatible libido and relationship preferences at the start sometimes wake up 10 or 20 years later or a kid or two later and find out they're not on the same page anymore, like that caller. And then what? That's an important conversation to have. And you know what? That's an easier conversation to have early in the relationship when your libido and relationship preferences feel aligned. And finally, says Delta35, in his opening rant, Dan suggested that meta is better than X. Not an Elon fanboy here, but do want to acknowledge that X is the only remaining mainstream social media company that allows porn, allows sex workers a presence to discuss sex work slash indirectly have a business preference. Hey, my tongue was firmly in cheek when I praised Meta. For the record, I fucking hate Meta. Mostly, but not only for making it all but impossible to function socially and professionally these days without being on their platforms and then systematically purging sex workers and sex educators from their platforms. And when people ask me why I am still on Twitter, and I still am on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage, sorry, I cannot join you, Delta35, in calling it X. I'm still on Twitter because that's where I can interact with and support my porn star pals, my sex work pals, and my sex educator pals. All right, for more listener comments, more of my responses, check out Struggle Session, posted Thursdays at savage.love. Struggle Session is exclusively for Magnum subs and can be found in the same feed as the column Savage Love at Savage.love. All right, now listener response calls. This is a call and response to episode 883 for the guy whose girlfriend's parents were uh, bigoted and there was a lot of racism going on there. For context, I'm a black therapist who is partnered with a white person. Dan's advice was on point, so I don't want to diminish any of that. However, what I want to add is that I think the girlfriend, if she wants this to really work, needs to work on her own racial identity development. Um, what gets missed very often is that white people also have racial identity development to do, and it's about deconstructing the white supremacy that was handed to the vast majority of white people and creating a positive white identity. If white people want to be intimately connected with non-white people, know that there's work that's involved there. I'm calling about the woman who had been cheated on by her husband and she asked how to get over it. Dan, I'm a therapist and I usually agree with almost everything that you say. But what I think you skipped over and what I've seen a lot in my practice is that the person who is cheated, by the time it comes out, whether they've confessed it or it came out another way, they've processed it. They're so relieved. They're ready for this whole thing to be over and to move on. While the other person, the person who has been cheated on, is having to deal with kind of a grenade being thrown into their life. And what I've seen is that the person who has cheated, anecdotally, it's often men, will say, okay, it's come out. So let's move on. Are you going to punish me forever? 
And sometimes it's just like a week or two after it all came out. And so what happens is the person who has been cheated on feels this pressure and as if something is wrong with them for not just being over it. So what I would say is, how do you get over it? You get over it together. You get over it by your partner making the choice that it's a priority to repair the relationship. I'd like to say they just are boring. They do what they say they're going to do. They be where they say they're going to be over and over and over again. And they're kind and compassionate. And over time, if you can do that, it will be a lot easier for your partner to get over it. I'm calling regarding the woman who didn't want five more members of her husband's family to come for Thanksgiving. I'm just horrified. I cannot believe that she would be so selfish, self-centered, that she can't have five more people for Thanksgiving. And they might watch football, the horrors. If that's her biggest problem in life, she should be grateful. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan right now while that question or comment is fresh in your mind and recorded for us. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love. You can also call us and leave us a message at 206-302-2064. The deadline for submitting a film for Hump 2024 is still a couple of months away. Plenty of time to create your masterpiece for Hump. Hump films can be hardcore, softcore, live action, animated, kinky, vanilla, straight, gay, lesbian, bi, transgender, queer. Anything goes at Hump. Well, almost anything goes at Hump. No poop, no animals, no minors. Submissions are due December 8th. Filmmakers have never had to pay to enter their films in Hump. Actually, at Hump, we pay the filmmakers whose films make it into the festival. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit for more info. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dan Savage. Follow me at Blue Sky at Dan Savage. And if you're a sex worker or a porn performer or a sex educator, you can still follow me on Twitter at Big Dan Savage. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian, who is not now nor has ever been on Twitter. And me and Nancy and the tech-savvy at-risk youth, we will all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.